Let's take our Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 15. A little bit of preamble for you about Revelation 15. We're back here in the book of uh, Revelation over these next few months, hopefully finishing this incredible book. Revelation is a book about the return of the king. Jesus is coming back. God will judge all people. Believers will uh, live forever. Evil will be punished. Every wrong will be made right. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. God will return the world to its original creation, and we will worship the Lord around his throne for all eternity. The book of Revelation uh, easily splits into three for me, and the Lord gives John the breakdown in verse 19 of chapter 1, where he says, write therefore what you have seen, uh, what is now, and what will take place later. Chapter 1 then is uh, what John saw as he was reminded of Jesus' life on earth, his sacrificial, substitutionary, atoning death on the cross for us, and then that vision of Jesus standing before him. Chapters 2 and 3 or what was then, what is now, uh, these letters to the seven churches, a sweeping prophecy of the present age of the church. Seven, of course, is a number that we see again and again through the book of Revelation, those letters to seven uh, churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven visions, seven bowls were then taken into the very throne room of heaven as John is transported there and sees this amazing scene that is before him, so amazing that he can hardly describe it to us. This is where he is shown what is to come, and there's worship by the living creatures around the very throne of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. Then John sees a scroll, but no one's found worthy to open that scroll, nobody able to to unlock it until the Lion of Judah, until the very Lamb who was slain comes forward and is able to break that seal and to open it. And from there we're plunged into despair and into darkness as we see the powers of darkness that need to be overcome, the judgment of God that that he has to bring on an unjust and sinful world And we see that cosmic battle that goes on between Satan and between our Savior. The seals are opened. Devastation occurs. The trumpets sound. Disaster strikes. But the seventh trumpet declares an amazing truth and a great hope for us as believers. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. And yet, seven visions follow, more misery and pain. And so to the very scene before us for preparations for the end, it's time for the seven bowls, for the final judgment. 
And thankfully after that, we get to see the victorious Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then everything being made new. So, I had a reasonable week this week, a few horrible weeks to come, and then some great joyous weeks to finish our series in Revelation. Now, please remember uh, some very simple things. Uh, Many of us, will have differing views on how all of this unfolds. No one person has a monopoly uh, on getting it right, I'm afraid. Not even me. I'll tell you that right now, especially not even me. I've tried to show you some of the key alternative thoughts as we've gone through some of the difficult passage. I've shared probably where I find myself in the midst, and I just want to encourage you to hold those differing views you have in peaceful tension with one another. There is no need to fall out about it. Discuss it, debate it, even with a generosity of spirit, but do it graciously. One day, my friends, we are going to discover that we got one or two things right in all of this, and we're going to discover that we got an awful lot wrong in our thinking here as well. The key thing to hold in mind has been the same all the way through. I probably should have had that as a title, actually, but I love the return of the king idea because actually one phrase comes through again and again and again, and we need to hold this in mind always. Jesus wins. That is the simple truth of this book. Jesus wins. So look to him. Trust in him. Follow him. Let's pray, and then let's read these words together. Father, Help us, please, to hear your voice this morning as we turn again to your holy and inspired word. We thank you. This is your word. It's it's perfect in, in all of its ways. It's just what we need for living for you. Father, today we will hear your voice through this word again. Would you make our hearts receptive and responsive to your word? Would you train our eyes and focus them on Christ? Would you teach our hands and our feet to move in fresh obedience according to the dictates of your word? Now work now, we pray, as your word is read and as it's proclaimed. Help us today to understand this. And may this all be for your glory and for your honor, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw in heaven... Another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, And in heaven, the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. 
and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Amen. Christmas has just passed, isn't it? One of the traditional things at Christmas is to go to a pantomime. Uh, we've not been for a number of years now, but I still remember the basic running order. The story is acted out. Good overcomes evil and wins the day. The prince gets his princess. And just before the final scene where the celebrations occur and where we get to greet the characters as they come forward in pairs and we clap and we shout, the curtain comes over and the two funny characters tend to come to the, the fore for a little sketch of their own as preparations are made behind the scene. They're giving uh, the stage crew time to set the scene behind the curtain. They're giving the rest of the cast the time to change their outfits. Well, here in Revelation 15, we are shown another scene in heaven that sets the scene for what is to come, and we're reminded uh, in it of the glorious, happy ending for the saints. Sadly, though, it also shows us the inevitably difficult end for those who are enemies of God. This is final judgment. John is shown preparations for the end. I saw in heaven, he says, another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues last, because with them God's wrath is completed. John sees seven angels. They're given seven golden bowls, and as we'll discover, those bowls have seven last plagues. The word plagues speak of a wound received by a blow or by a stripe. Actually, quite literally, it speaks of a heavy calamity. And these, God will pour out his undiluted wrath, fulfilling his judgment. This is it. The end is nigh. We're reaching a dramatic crescendo. The plagues described here are extremely severe and occur in rapid succession, one after the other, which actually adds greatly to their severity. When these seven judgments are poured out on the earth, they will complete the judgments of the tribulation period. God's wrath is completed. This phrase translates the Greek verb uh, telos, uh, and the same word was used by Jesus uh, on the cross, you'll remember, uh, before he died, he cried out in John 19 and 13, uh, an elongated version of telos, he said, tetelestai, he said, it is finished. And it is in these last plagues that God's wrath finds its culmination, it accomplishes its purposes. Evil is going to be dispensed with fully and finally. Satan is vanquished and what began in Eden is completed and a new heaven and a new earth is created. Before John is shown that wrath and uh, all of its ugliness, the seven bowls of judgment, he has given firstly a vision of the victorious saints and then of the vanquishing angels. In verses two to four, we see a vision of the victorious saints even as heaven prepares to unleash judgment upon the earth, there is rejoicing in heaven. And I praise the Lord today that there is a land that is free from the cares, the sins, and the sufferings of this world. Every time we are privileged to look into heaven, we see the same thing. 
we see the saints of God rejoicing in the presence of their Redeemer. And this vision is no different. Every time John is, is shown a set of judgments, a set of seven he has given a glimpse of worship in heaven, first of all. I wonder if you've noticed that as we've worked our way through, as you've been reading and as we've been studying. Revelation 4 and 5, John has given a glimpse of the very throne room in heaven. He sees worship around the throne. And then chapter 6 and 7, the seals are opened and devastation follows. At the start of chapter 8, there's silence in heaven, a scene of worship and prayer in heaven again. And then the seven trumpets are sounded and disaster comes. And here in chapter 15, a scene of worship in heaven once more before the seven bowls that bring the final judgment and eternal doom. We're reminded again, my friends, uh, through this, of God's great holiness, and of the time when all praise and glory will be given to God for finally having dealt with Satan and the beast and his image and all that comes with that. Well, this vision sets for us the scene in heaven. It shows us the scene in heaven, verse 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. The saints, the victorious saints are standing beside a sea of glass mixed with fire. If you remember, we encountered the sea of glass in chapter 4. There we found that it speaks of God's holiness, his constant character. This sea isn't tossed about with wind and waves, but it's clear and it's still. The seas here on earth are ever moving and ever changing with the tide, but God is unchanging. He has never been able to stand sin, and that's not changed. Evil has no place with him. And so his certain judgment is about to be fully and finally unleashed here. Only those with uh, clean hearts can be in his presence. Only those who are holy. Who is holy? None of us, except for those who have been washed in the very blood of the Lamb, those who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, are seen as righteous and holy now through Jesus Christ. The sea is mixed with fire, it says. The holiness of God is about to be revealed as he pronounces final judgment upon this sinful world. The time has come to deal fully and finally with sinful humanity. The door of opportunity is about to be slammed shut as it was in the days of Noah. The sea mixed with fire symbolizes God's divine judgment. And John sees the victorious saints standing there. These are the ones mentioned in chapter 7, those who have come out of the tribulation period. These are people who heard the gospel when it was preached during the tribulation. They heard the call of God. They've repented of their sins and they were saved and many of them were called upon to give their lives for Jesus. And this they did, dying horrible deaths at the hand of the Antichrist. And now they are home in heaven, safe, secure, saved. And they rejoice in the victory that they have. And they're seen rejoicing around the glassy sea while the persecutors are left to face the very wrath of God. Friends, I think there's a wonderful picture there that it's all going to be worth it in the end for the child of God. 
these times might be difficult. We might face persecution in so many different ways in our world today, and I think it's getting worse, undoubtedly. But it's all going to be worth it when we stand around the glassy sea. Hold fast. Hold fast. As John is given that vision, these victorious saints notice he doesn't just uh, notice that he doesn't just see uh, the scene before him, but he hears the song of the saints. At the end of verse two, finishes they held harps given them by God and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. These tribulation saints left their voices in song to praise the God who redeemed their souls. And we're told that they sang two songs. They sang the song of Moses and they sang the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses is found in Exodus 15. If you want to go and read that this afternoon, the song of the Lamb refers to the song sung in Revelation 5 to the very Lamb who was worthy, who was found worthy to open this, break the seal and to open the scroll. The song of Moses was sung by the children of Israel when they'd been delivered from Egypt and Pharaoh. The song of the Lamb is sung by the saints of God when they are delivered from the Antichrist. The song of Moses was sung by the Red Sea, and the song of the Lamb is sung on the glassy sea. The song of Moses was sung to praise God for bringing his people out. The song of the Lamb is sung to praise God for bringing his people in. Both songs are songs of redemption. Songs of praise for the God who excels and delivering his people from sin. Amazing songs. Songs that we can sing today because we have been saved from our sin. We have been redeemed. We have been set free. But just look at that song very quickly. For it speaks of God's works, his ways, his worship, his wrath in there. God's works. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. They sing of the sovereign God of power whose works are unlimited, unhindered by the devices of people. They sing of the God who works in power and moves in glory. God's ways, just and true are your ways, King of the ages. They praise the God whose ways are, have always been just and true. They may have faced many difficulties, harsh persecution, but God always deals justly with his people. And it would do us well to learn this great truth in our day. Life is hard, but God is always just in his dealings with us. God's worship, who alone, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. God alone is worthy to receive the worship of all humanity. He, heaven will be a place of unending worship to our Lord. And God's wrath for your righteous acts have been revealed. They sing to the God who alone is worthy to judge sin and sinners because he alone is holy and just. These saints are simply uh, lifting their voices in praise to the Lord for all his marvelous works. We too shall sing a song of praise unto the Lord. It will be a song unlike any song we've heard. What a marvelous song of praise this song is. 
God is declared to be powerful in his works, omnipotent in his character, and righteous and true in his ways, sovereign in his control over the nations, deserving of reverence and glory, perfectly holy in character, deserving of the worship of all nations, and as one who has revealed his righteous judgment, saint, saints today, sing your praise to God for who he is for all he has done in your life, for all he is doing in your life, and dare I say it, for all that he has yet to do in your life. We can sing the song of Moses. We can sing the song of the Lamb. We can sing our own song of praise to a God who has saved and redeemed us, who walks with us through life, who is faithful to us in in all the good times and is faithful to us in all of the struggles and difficulties and hardships and persecutions that we face as well. Our God is worthy of all of our praise all of the time. John's eyes are then captured by something else. He's given a vision of the vanquishing angels. Verse 5, after this I looked, and in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony, was opened, and out of the temple came the seven angels. Both the tabernacle and the temple were places where God's presence was known for the Israelites. It was in the tabernacle that the ark of the the covenant uh, was uh, we've seen that in Revelation 11 and 19. This contained the testimony of the Lord, the Ten Commandments, which summarized for all God's people the holiness and godliness that God expects of them. The fact that John now sees this open indicates that God is now coming to hold people accountable to his revealed word. Of course, as we're well aware, the law did not bring salvation to the people, but it served as a testimony to the holiness of God and revealed his standard for all people. Things haven't changed since Moses received the law and things will not change during the tribulation. God will always hold his people to a standard of holiness. And unfortunately, none of us are able to meet that in and of ourselves. It can only be achieved through the cleansing blood of Jesus. So those watching on have been saved through the blood of Christ. Those who are left are now going to be judged and held accountable to that perfect standard of God's, and they are going to receive their just punishment. This is God's perfect plan being enacted. God is in control. In his vision, John sees seven angels, and they're each given seven bowls. So let's just think on the seven angels quickly, and we'll come, uh, and then the bowls quickly. And then we'll come back to them over the coming weeks as we see them poured out, as we see them bringing punishment and pain. The seven angels first, verse six. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their uh, chests. These angels have come out of the temple, out from the very presence of God, coming out of the very presence of God, they are the executioners of his plan. God is sovereign. He is in control. Everything is working out according to his perfect plans and timing. And so it's time for these angels to act. These seven angels are lofty. They're royal in their bearing, holy in their nature. 
that magnificently beautiful, clean, shining, glowing, brilliant, dazzling linen as an evidence and an indication of their holiness and of their purity. White linen is symbolic of the purity of the angels, the righteous character and the righteous act now of God in pouring out his wrath on earth. Golden sashes uh, held the linen garments in place. They were worn by priests as they ministered in the temple, you remember, from the Old Testament. Gold, symbolic of, of God's riches, of beauty, of, of greatness, of majesty. And Christ himself wore the same apparel when he appeared to John in Revelation 1 and 13. These angels are the agents of God's justice. And then we see seven bowls. Verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. These four living creatures we first encountered in Revelation 4. Well, actually, we first encountered them back in Ezekiel uh, chapter 1, uh, defined as cherubim there. And here in Revelation 4 as living creatures. They represent uh, by their features all of God's creation. The lion represents the wild animals. The ox or calf, domestic animals. Man of all human uh, beings. The eagle of all birds and all fowl. And these living creatures you'll remember from Revelation 4 uh, are full of eyes. Eyes on every side possible. They see everything. And they exist. They exist to glorify the God of all creation. They serve God faithfully around the throne. And so here they come, and they give to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. And this is interesting, just as a little bit of a note, because philias is the Greek word, and it means a shallow saucer. And it's indicative of the way in which these judgments are going to come They're just going to be poured out. They're just going to be dumped, dunked right on top of people, on top of the earth. There's no long spout or little jug to pour them carefully uh, out on. These are shallow little bowls, and they are quite literally just going to be dunked out on top of the earth. Such golden bowls, by the way, were often associated with temple uh, worship in the past. 1 Kings 7, 50, 2 Kings 12, 13, 25, 15. These texts refer to that. Bowls were used for a number of functions in the temple. They were used for blood sacrifice. If you read Exodus 27 and verse 3, so they used bowls and golden bowls wouldn't be unfamiliar to them. And so here this living creature comes to the angels and gives to them seven bowls filled with the very wrath of God. And they're going to be dumped out. They're going to be emptied instantly. And those who have refused to drink the cup of salvation are now going to drown under the bowl of wrath. And the bowls are filled with God's wrath. Filled. Literally the word is full. Not filled, it's filled to the brim. It's full and, and running over. It's, the word addresses something of the comprehensive, complete, 
and totally devastating character of the final set of judgments from God. This is going to be it. And the ground for this was laid right through Scripture. In fact, the idea of seven plagues draws from Leviticus chapter 26. You can go and read that later on, verses 18 and 21 and 24 and 28, because in that chapter, God lays out the judgment that will come even upon Israel if they refuse to listen to him and obey him. And four times there in Leviticus 26, God repeats that he will judge the sinful seven times over. And with each statement, the judgments are intensified. And in just the same manner as we will discover in the coming weeks, as the seven bowls of wrath are revealed, we will see a greater and greater intensification until the very final judgment itself is revealed. God's wrath being poured out now is going to be full, and it's going to be final, it's going to be comprehensive, and it's going to be complete. And verse 8 concludes the chapter by telling us that the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Smoke throughout the scriptures refers to the glory, the power, the holiness of our great God. Here it comes from two sources. It comes from the glory of God and it comes from the power of God. And the smoke that fills the temple will be so thick, it will be so intense that no one was able to enter the temple until the seven last plagues of the seven angels were finished. God is bringing about his final judgment on earth. And actually, some of the commentators reckon that it's so filled with smoke that nobody can enter the temple. So actually, nobody can then enter heaven. Those that are left are going to experience this wrath that's coming and there is no more hope for them. The time has been again and again and again and again. And God is now bringing his final judgment. Well, we're going to look at the bowls in a bit more detail next week and the weeks that come. But let's just think on that vision, that scene before us today, because this is preparations for the end. John is granted a vision of the victorious saints. He witnesses those who have come through the tribulation, remaining faithful to Christ and singing the song of praise before the throne. Will we, will we be found faithful? That's a question for us today. Will we be found faithful? Are we singing the song of the redeemed? Then John saw a vision of the vanquishing angels. These seven angels with seven plagues given seven bowls full of God's wrath. And they're about to pour out God's final judgment uh, on the unbelieving, uh, on those who reject God's mercy. God has given them every opportunity, warned them again and again and again, right through their lives, but especially through this seven-year tribulation period. And yet still, adamantly, they refuse to turn from their wicked ways and to receive God's mercy. And so they are now left hopeless and helpless to face the very wrath of God. Friend, I don't know where you stand today. But can I gently and carefully ask if you are making preparations for the end? It's not too late today to do that. The door of salvation stands open. The door of mercy and grace is open before you. All of us will stand before God and will be measured according to his holy standard. And none of us meet it. 
Our only hope is Jesus. Our only hope to find ourselves acceptable under such a righteous standard is having the righteousness of Jesus applied to our lives, to our account. Have you been saved? Are you washed by the precious blood of the Lamb? If not, you are not going to meet God's perfect standard. Can I plead with you today to turn to Him? to walk in his ways before it's too late, to crown him Lord of your life, to turn from your sin, your shame, and to turn to him today before it is too late. Come today and put your trust and your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Friends, may we be found gathered with the saints around the glassy sea, singing praise to our God. May we be found faithful May we be found singing that song of the redeemed. Let's pray together, will we? Loving God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for all that it teaches us. We thank you for the ways that you Reveal your plans to us, your purposes. We thank you for the preparations we've seen this morning for the end. And Lord, we pray that we wouldn't be there. We pray that our friends wouldn't be there. Lord, we want to pray today. I want to pray this morning in this moment for any in this place who do not know you, for any who have wandered away from you, who have turned their back on you, who are just going through the motions. Lord, I pray this morning that for those who don't know you, that they would put their trust and their faith in you right here and right now, that they would turn from their sin and that they would crown Jesus as Lord of their life, that they would put their trust and their faith in Christ alone for their salvation. Lord, for those who have, have done that in the past but have wandered away, for those who are playing at church, playing it, coming along when it suits them and, and listening in when they want to and then just wandering out the door and doing what they want to do afterwards, Lord, I pray today that you would just remind them of their need of salvation, their need of a Savior, and that you would remind them of the future and of heaven and of hell. Lord, that you would draw them back to you. Lord, would you move in power? And Lord, for our family members, for our friends who don't know you, would you give us courage and boldness in these days to go out and to share our faith with them? to encourage them about a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of love, a God who has opened the door of salvation, who keeps that open to give us opportunity after opportunity to run and to turn to him. Lord, would you give us courage and boldness to go to our friends and to share our faith with them, to invite them to accept Christ as Lord, to put their trust in Jesus. And Lord, we want to be found faithful. We want to be found singing the song of the redeemed. Lord, would you remind us that our hope is found in Christ alone, nowhere else. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't make ourselves good. And so we thank you for Jesus who gave his life on the cross for us, who washed us clean through the shedding of his blood. We thank you our hope is found in Christ alone, and we thank you that he holds us fast and nobody can snatch us from his hand. Lord, help us to rejoice in that today. Help us to hold on to that in the weeks that come as we go through some difficult chapters. And Lord, through it all, would you just remind us of your perfect nature, of your, your standard of holiness, of your greatness, of your glory. 
Lord, thank you for your love. I pray, Lord, that these words would remain in our minds, that if there's anything of man in there, Lord, that you would take it away, that you would only remain that which is of you, and Lord, that we would find that useful in our lives with you. Lord, continue to teach us, we pray, and receive our praise. Hear our prayers now, in Jesus' name, amen.